hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. Podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To Eurograps Express, I'm your host Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. And it's Christmas, we're at that dead time between Christmas and New Year, and do you know what I've realised? I've kind of done a reverse Scrooge over the past, I think, five or ten years, and I've really come to terms with the fact this year that I ate Christmas. I've had enough of it. I just, oh no, I'm such a Scrooge and I'm probably bursting into your phones and your headphones at the time when you're loving it the most, that you're the most relaxed and that you're the most chilled. And I, I just can't be doing with it anymore. And I forgot just how, I forget every year as well, just how stressful and busy it is. And I don't like it. I'd much rather have my time off to do absolutely nothing. And I feel like I've done nothing but run around and be busy and have jobs to do. And it's just, this is the first time I feel like today that I've sat down and actually had some free time to do something. Because if you remember, I had grand plans for a Christmas episode. I was going to go through uh, Osprey and uh, Zack Sabre Jr.'s feud. And I'll be honest, I haven't done it. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of hesitant about Christmas episodes anyway, because I don't, I don't really like Christmas and I, I, I don't really feel the need to market in any... <laughs> I just feel like an absolute grumpy, I don't know. You know, just like, I don't like Christmas. I didn't want to market. I just wanted to pretend it didn't exist. So in some ways, that's what I've ended up doing on this episode, that I'm just, in a way, going to pretend that Christmas hasn't happened and it doesn't exist at all. And we're just going to do what we've been doing for the past few episodes and reviewing RevPro, because they had that massive show at York Hall uh, with lots of changes, lots of upsets, lots of kind of last-minute moving around. That I, I, It was a very interesting show, a very interesting show to look at. Um, so I really want to do that, to be honest with you. I, I think that 
having a little bit of normality in the middle of your Christmas uh, break is probably a good thing. Obviously, my Christmas was was defined by. Do you have that thing with a partner where you know you cannot have a row? Like, you can't have a row, because we went to my wife's family uh, this year, who live on Merseyside, they live in the Wirral, and a bunch of wolves. And I, so many times we came so close to having a row, because we agreed to take this um, joint and meet with us. We didn't want to turn up empty-handed, and I go to this local butcher's in sale quite a lot, and it's lovely, they do a lovely gammon. I said, ah, I'm going to cook a gammon, I can, I've done it a million times, I can do it really well. So, excuse me, I got this gammon and I just put it in the fridge. You know, I pre-ordered it. I thought, well, I'll get up around 7.30, 8 o'clock as normal as I would do on a day off and we'll get cooking. But obviously, like an absolute wazzock, what I forgot to do was to check how long it took to cook because I'd always do gammon and I'd just boil it for a couple of hours in the oven for half an hour, sorted. But obviously, because it was Christmas, I got a massive one, 14 people. So I got this big gammon, put it in the coke, started to boil it and realised, doesn't fit in my small pan. So then I get my medium pan out, and I realise, well, it doesn't fit in my medium pan either. Then I get my big pan out, and it only just fits in that. So there was a very, very hairy conversation with my wife of, I know you wanted to be with your family for about 12.1, but this is only just going to finish boiling at 12.1, and it's an hour away from Salford. And I could tell she, she wanted to murder me. She wanted to grab a kitchen knife out of the block, and stick it in my neck. And then, as she, as this gammon was boiling, filling the the house with the smell of Christmas, if not its spirit, she kept coming in and giving me little tips. Now, I don't think I've ever talked about my wife very much on this podcast, so maybe this is the Christmas special because we talk. Wonderful woman, you know. Obviously, quite fond of her. We've been married. We've been married ten years this year. In fact, we've been married ten years tomorrow as I'm recording this. So you know, we've. I'm quite fond of her. You know, I think I've 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 done me time to prove that, and I think with that time brings a certain freedom to express certain opinions and certain facts and quite frankly her cooking is abysmal it's utterly abysmal her cooking is the equivalent of a rev pro belt shot she can't even make a cheese sandwich i'm not even exaggerating she, i think she's she's not made so much as a bacon butter in about seven years i don't think the one thing she can cook is leek and potato soup and if i'm ever ill guess what we're having Honestly, she's utterly abysmal. So I'm cooking this gammon and I'm, I'm getting things ready and I thought, well, we're taking a few extra bits like parsnip, so I'll cook them now and then it's less time when we get there because if we're delaying dinner... Because that's the thing, isn't it? We're turning up to this group of 14 people and we're holding up dinner. Um, so as she's giving me these tips, I'm thinking, you can't so much, as I say, cook a bacon sandwich. And I'm then looking at the knife block, thinking, well, if you're going to stab me, you're going to take me down. I'm going to take you down with me. But obviously, it's Christmas, isn't it? So no one can say anything. You've just got to be silent. You've just got to be You've got to be peaceful. Because if we have that row on Christmas and we turn up to her family on Christmas Day and we've had a row, everyone's going to know. And I'm, you never live that down, do you? You never live ruining Christmas down. That's it. 
I it did cross my mind because, like I say, Christmas stinks. It's rubbish. It did cross my mind that if it did kick off, then I could say I'm not coming and stay at home and have to date him myself because we've got like a few bits in the fridge you know, for Boxing Day. So I thought, well, I'll have food to eat. But anyway, it didn't happen, and we ended up on the Whittle and the Gammon. Do you know what? It was bloody lovely. This is it for Gammon for me. Just get it, boil it in. Gammon is ham, by the way, if there's any Americans listening. Uh, I know you guys just call it ham at, b- at both ends, but I, I didn't know this either until recently. I didn't know the difference between Gammon and ham. But Gammon is uncooked ham. So it's Gammon when it's raw, and once it's cooked, it's ham. So I get this gammon, put it in Coca-Cola, full sugar, obviously, because it's the sugar that gets the flavour, couple of onions, couple of cloves, couple of bits and pieces in there, and just boil it until it's 75 degrees C. Just boil it. Boil it, boil it, boil it. It takes probably, you know, a couple of hours if you've got a normal-sized joint. Then take it out, cut the fat off, smother it with mustard powder, stick some cloves in it if you want, but cloves is one of those things... You know, like a bay leaf, when you put it in stuff and you think, actually, does this make any difference? If I made a spag ball and didn't put a bay leaf in, would it even matter? I, I, I don't think it would. But I put the clothes on. It's more about the appearance. So put your clothes on and then put your honey on top. Or you can use maple if you want, you know, that sort of thing. I've used golden syrup before as well, which was okay. It's, 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 it was nice, but it's, it's the lower of the three. And then just put it in the oven until the honey or the maple's melted. About 20 minutes, something like that. And it's lovely. It's easy. If you need to take a joint of meat somewhere, it works really well. Because you could just boil it at your house, drive with it, and then do the glazing when you get somewhere. I, I don't know if that's something you do, if you regularly take choice of meat to other people's houses. But yeah, it, it came up at Christmas. Um, so that that's Christmas. Uh, that's, that's my feelings on it. And that's why I'm not doing a Christmas special. I'm not admitting that I didn't watch what I said I was going to watch. And that's why we're not doing it. It's because I fundamentally disagree with the concept of Christmas. I went to the, maybe this is because I went to the Trafford Centre on Christmas Eve to get my wife's present. Because um, it's, our, it's our 10 year wedding anniversary this year. It's, we got married at Christmas time, we got married on the 29th. So I had to get her something special, do you know what I mean? And obviously going to the Trafford Centre <laughs> the day before Christmas was was uh, was not my smartest move. Um, I think the big thing for me, to talk about is that it's it's nearly been a year of Eurograps Express. Uh, we're almost there. Um, I decided to start a podcast uh, January 2022. It was after watching that Oku Osprey match that I think is going to be pretty high up on match of the year lists. Um, I've not done my match of the year list yet, um, but I, I would imagine it's gonna it's gonna appear fairly highly, if not number one. And I watched this and. I've been thinking about doing audio for a while. Um, I didn't do this, by the way, at the start. I've waited a year to talk about the podcast because I can't talk about hating stuff. I hate Christmas. But I'm one of them people, you know, when you listen to a new podcast and you think, God, there's a podcast about this and it's these people and I like these people and you get excited about it. And then they spend sort of the first 45 minutes talking about themselves and their goals for the podcast. And I... I never really get that kind of conversation, even though I'm kind of going to do a bit of that now. I never really get that because 
I think people are listening to hear you review whatever topic it is you're reviewing. I think once you get a little bit behind you and you you get a bit of a following and you, and you get people actually listening and people interested in you, then you can start to talk about yourself a little bit more because you've got that relationship then with your audience. Like there's certain listeners, you know, the friends of the show who go in the Discord who I know a little bit about now and they know a little bit about me and there's that bit of a relationship there. But if you're just coming out of the blocks, who gives a monkeys? Um, so yeah, I didn't do this at the start, but one of my things that got me going was that match, that Oku Osprey match. And I, I, I remember being really enthused by it and wanting to write about it. Because I was a writer for Voices of Wrestling for I think like five, six years now. I've been doing it quite a while. And, and Red Pro was always my beat. And I'd also had this idea of doing a podcast for, for years before. And I'd asked a few people about it, particularly Jay Michael, who ended up doing a Super Jay cast and was fantastic like a brilliant host like what a great voice for audio great takes love that episode um and i had this idea to do a podcast that was kind of based on my writing because I, I, I did this series of writing called how to watch wrestling and it was deliberately kind of provocative in the title but actually it was, it was about me working out how to watch wrestling and the whole concept of it was that i was going to approach wrestling in the same way that somebody would approach um, a film or a novel or poetry and look at it through certain critical lenses. You know, what would Baudrillard think about this as wrestling? What would, you know, what would Baudrillard think about this? And I, 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 I sort of always hesitated because when you talk about things like that, people get ideas about who you are and, and they almost think that they're too they're above it, you know, that they don't need that stuff to frame their thinking and that it's somehow the people that do are snooty and up their own ass, and, and they don't. And I get that because there were times in my life that I thought that. But while these things are these sort of philosophical ideas and these these idea, these sort of theories are framework for your own thinking. And I think about the amount of times that since reading about things like that, like since Borgia in particular has been a big favourite of mine, reading about him and and, read, and and applying that to things in my life and helping me to understand the world around me. And that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? That's epistemology. Uh, uh, how do you know things? Epistemology, that's words, isn't it? You know what I mean. Like, how do you know stuff? How do you find out things? Um, epistemological position and all that business. And I wanted to do a podcast about that. Uh, and I, I had it in my head that I couldn't do a podcast without a co-host. I thought, I can't sit on my own and do a podcast. And I approached a couple of people and they weren't really interested. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the back burner. And then that Oku Osprey match happened and I thought, do you know what? I really want to do a podcast. I really want to do audio. And I don't know why. I can't really put a, a, my finger on it. It wasn't a case of, uh, you know, uh, there was a moment where I, I knew that I could only talk about this in a podcast. I'd just been writing a long time and it felt like a new challenge. And I did a couple of wrestling omakases with the fantastic John Carroll, who was brilliant host. Um, and they are fantastic with people who are inexperienced. You know, the amount of people when they retired from podcasting, although they have done an episode, actually, uh, the amount of people who retired 
uh, who sorry got their start in podcasting because they were on Wrestling Omakase, and that's in no part no small part down to them and being so fantastic and it's certainly what gave me the nudge to do it i thought what can i do a solo podcast about what can i rant and rave and scream and shout about on my own to a brick wall and then brit rest just popped into my mind is there a better subject to rant and rave and scream about on your own to a brick wall than brit rest like an in-real-life Twitter. So I went away and thought, right, I'm going to do this. And I approached Rich Creech. And Rich was very supportive. And, and both Rich and Joe been really complimentary and supportive. And, and obviously, even hosting the podcast at all has been a huge thing for me. Um, and I, I, I did a sample episode, which is actually the, just episode one. And I sent it to them. And one of the things they kept saying all the way through is, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're entering a, a space and a scene that is very, very toxic. You know, you go online in Brit Rest spaces and you've got to have your wits about you. Um, you know, it's, it's a very difficult sort of space to be in, I think. And do you know what? I think on a year in reflection, and I'm thinking about the year, I haven't had any negativity whatsoever. Not at all. I've not had anybody challenging me about why I don't. I'm not talking about certain things, um, because I think the answers are obvious. You know, like litig- litigation and legal stuff. I, I, I just don't think I'm not equipped to talk about those things. I've not had any really bad feedback and I, I, I you know you might argue that it's because not many people listen but actually I, I think because I'm so rubbish at social media what I've done is slowly curated a little bit of an audience that are just drawn to me as and this podcast and we all seem to think the same way and have you know not completely obviously because life would be boring but we we kind of get what this podcast is you and me and I, I think that building up slowly has has been really important to that I go back and I listen to that first episode and it sounds like a different person. And I'm, I'm glad people have stuck with me because I, I feel like I've got a lot better at doing this. Like I go back and I listen to that first episode and one of the inspirations was, there was two inspirations to my style, two things that I wanted. The feel that I wanted if I was going to do this on my own was the late night Lanza. You know, when he does the Thursday TV reviews or he does extra stuff on the Patreon behind the paywall. And I, I just love that because I'm, I'm a night owl as well. I love sitting in my garden with my dog, smoking too much probably, um, and listening to someone chat about wrestling. And I wanted that feel that you were just talk- you you and your mate were in the garden and you were talking about wrestling. And the other inspiration, the other sort of, thing that I wanted to rip off. I can't believe I'm admitting this. It was, have you ever seen The Fog with John Carpenter? And there's a lady on that, and she's the sort of the main character, and she does a radio show late at night. And it's all very kind of smooth jazz, and she's like, hey, it's the witching hour, and you're with your host. And I, just, and I, was, I wasn't ripping that off. I was just trying to get that sort of feel to it like it was late at night and it was you were talking and i just basically i listened to that first episode and i sound like i'm asleep 
You know, I sound like because I'm putting it on, I'm, I'm forcing it. And the takes were legit. You know, I wasn't, I've never made anything up. I've never said anything about a match or a show or a promotion that I didn't actually really believe and feel. But it's not me. It's, it's not using my voice. And I think as time's gone on, I've just become much, much more confident about using my voice. And I think the big turning point for me was the Manchester show that I reviewed, um, the banger in Manchester that I called it, which never caught on, but, you know, I'm not that bitter about it. Uh, well, Luke Jacobs won the Cruiserweight title. And I, I felt like that was a real big turning point for me in podcasting because I, what I used to do was take copious notes. I used to write notes about everything, star rate, everything. I'd, I'd approach it the way I did when I was approaching my written reviews because what I do with a written review as I'm watching, I'm just sort of typing out a brief play-by-play. And a lot of it's code, a lot of it's shorthand. I, I think if you picked up my, my book or my notes, you wouldn't understand it. It's, it's just it's, it's nonsense. But... I'd go through so I'd, I'd be able to sort of revision the match and key spots and then I'd do an opinion afterwards. And I was doing that for podcasting. But because I went to that Manchester show live and it was the first show I'd reviewed that I was at live, I couldn't do that. So I just sat down, I went on Red Pro's Twitter, I got the card open and just started talking about it. And I think that was a real big turning point for me because one, I realised that I didn't need to make all these notes. And secondly, the notes became a bit of a crutch. You know, it became something that I I got stressed about if I missed a point and I wasn't concentrating on my flow and how I was explaining things. And I was losing that kind of conversational feel that I wanted. So anyway, that that's my little growth in my first year of podcasting. I, I think I've become okay at it i've got a long way to go i think there's still things that i want to be able to do i still sometimes listen back to them and think what what am i talking about you know and but one of the things that i'm really adamant about and i don't know if you disagree with this as a listener you can tell me if you do i suppose in a way here what i'm doing is in a very roundabout way asking for feedback but one of the things that I don't do is go back and edit and cut out the errs and the ums and cut out parts where I make mistakes or realise something later on. Because you you don't do that in real life, do you, when you're having a conversation with someone? And to me, it's more important that this podcast feels real and feels like we're actually having a conversation than it does to be smooth and polished and perfect. I don't want to go down that road of being a smooth and polished, perfect podcast. I talk about the medium all the time, and it's interesting on the Voices of Wrestling flagship, one of the things they talk about is that they don't approach it like a podcast, they approach it like a radio show, because they both love sports radio. Whereas I listened to that and took that on board, but I approach it from the completely opposite point of view, that I approach it like a podcast. This is a bloke in his kitchen at three o'clock in the morning, talking. And I think that's what's wonderful about podcasts, and that's what's always engaged me about the medium. Right, you know, for... I was listening to, you know, Kevin Smith's Smodcast, you know, for decades ago, and, and uh, it's always been something that I've really been... I, I feel very passionate about as a medium, and something as in consuming them. And to, to have one now and have my own is a bit strange. Anyway, that's me. Um... I apologise if that bored you to tears, but I, we will talk about some wrestling because Rev Pro had a pretty big show. Um, 
So let's talk about Red Pro Uprising. Do you know, I said before about picking up audience members who, who sort of see things the same way as me. And I always do that funny voice, you know, at the end of things like, that just did uprising or whatever. And then SM North commented in the Discord. He says, saying it in a Robot Wars voice doesn't make it true. As a Tomorrowger reference. And every time I do that voice, I always think of that line. And the fact that someone else said it for such a, what I think is an obscure show. It's really cool. Anyway, Uprising uh, 2022. Lots of changes to this card. Um, it was cursed, I think, in, in the worst possible way that, Zach Saber, um, sorry, not Zach Saber Junior. Um, Ricky Knight Junior. was injured, so you got your men's champion, and then Alex Windsor was injured, so your women's champion was out. I'll talk about the impact of both of those later on, but I think in some ways it made the show better, but in a lot of ways, in more ways, I think it made the show worse. And I, I'm, I'm, I mean, what can you do? You know, there's no analysis of it, is there? You can't say, oh, this should have happened, that should have happened. These people are wrestlers, they're athletes, they're, they're doing one of the most physical things you can do. They're going to get injured, it is the way it is. And I think Red Pro dealt with it as well as they could have done, I think. I, I don't know what else they could have done, really. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, because I'm, I'm going to do a bit of moaning on this. And again, I know it's Christmas. I'm not. I'm supposed to be all happy and jolly. But there's some things on this show that continue to really wind me up about Red Pro, and I, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, it opened with the Cruiserweight belt. Uh, it was Luke Jacobs, Will Caven against Robbie X. And I feel really bothered by this story. I think Robbie X has been robbed. I really do. Robbie X has been around for a while. He's a Southside guy, but Red Pro been using him for a long time now. And he's always been the spectacle wrestler. And as he should have been as well for a long time. You know, he was he was the guy who could do amazing flips. He was the guy who would make somebody else look good. When Ricky Knight Jr. first came in to Red Pro, it was his it was Robbie X who he wrestled. And those matches, these three or four of them, go back and watch them because they're fantastic. I can't I'll have to dig up the date. But they had one at York Hall that was okay. It was like three and three quarters. But there was one from before that. I think it was at a cockpit show. And it was superb. Like the speed and the violence and the slap and the smash of everything. Like you'd expect from those two was fantastic. And then Robbie X kind of fell into this role, didn't he? Of being the gatekeeper, being the spectacle wrestler, being the guy who you could rely on to just go out and have a great match. And again, that's absolutely appropriate. That's what he was. But something happened over lockdown that he... He, he sorted his look out, you know, he shaved his head, he got ripped. So he's still doing the same amount of stuff, but, uh, but suddenly he looked like a star. He looked like somebody you could push. And that matters in, in, in promotions like Red Pro. You know, he became somebody that they pushed. He won the British Jacob. He was on track to have a championship match at the big show. 
and quite frankly, probably win. I mean, he won this, but, you know, I think it was fairly obvious from the start that this was his belt because it felt like such an organic push that he was there, he was bubbling, and then it was, right, go. And winning the J-Cup and all that business, it felt like it was just somebody on this trajectory to win a championship. And Luke Jacobs, you know, with um, Ethan Allen coming back from injury, it was getting a bit silly calling him a cruiserweight. And I, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the times I was wrong. I was an advocate for him being a, uh, a cruiserweight. And I, I think, yeah, they, they sort of pushed it too far, I suppose, in some ways. Um, so you wanted to sort of move him out. And it felt like what we needed was just a good old school Robbie X bump. As in, not bump as in hitting the mat, bump as in a, a big sort of match where people get over. He could have got Luke Jacobs over really easily because he's Robbie X. But instead, what they've decided to do is sprinkle this story constantly with Will Caven. I feel like as the weeks of the episodes go on and on and on, I'm getting less and less and less and less polite about Will Caven. And I think I'm ready to say it now. Will Caven stinks. Will Caven's not very good. And the reason why I've been hesitant to say that is because I don't think it's his ability in the ring that I dislike. He is an incredibly able wrestler. He's clearly a very talented wrestler. He could do things that are very, very impressive and cool and all that business. And I think in a lot of ways, he's a victim of the booking. And sometimes I think with the way wrestling is, you forget sometimes that you can criticize that because you feel like you're criticizing a person like i don't want to say that will caven's a bad wrestler i don't want to say that he's rubbish because i feel like there's a person there but you also have to review what's in front of you and the stories they're telling with will caven stink it's distractions it's cheating it's cackling he's a pound shop seth rollins and I don't like full price Seth Rollins. The way he walked to the ring, this show opened with him, and the way he walked to the ring was awful. It's cringy. It's not real. Nobody walks like that. Nobody acts like that. Especially when you're putting him against Robbie X and Luke Jacobs. I just don't understand why Andy wants to overbook the living daylights out of this cruiserweight division. Especially with the fact, and this is a problem that we're going to talk about a lot because this is something he's really struggling with. He's determined to have a very small roster. And it's worked at times, but his roster at the minute is too small. So why is he wasting programs? Why can Will Caven establish himself as a legitimate contender and then challenge Robbie X and do a program with Robbie X. Why is this three-way, and put a stamp in that, why is this three-way bollocks preferable? I don't get why this is better. Because the Will Caven character isn't good. And it's ruining what should be Robbie X's story. 
Robbie X, you've got a chance to really do something with here and elevate. And we're not because we're too busy with these rubbish stories with Will Caven. I wonder if Will Caven just isn't ready. You know, the way he, st he stomps to the ring and all that business, I, I just don't think it... I just don't think it works. You know, Robbie X, like I say, he felt like someone who wanted a belt. He felt like someone who was who was elevating himself as a professional wrestler. And Will Caven was playing a stupid character. Uh, I think adding that into that story has just really taken away from it. And then Dan Maloney turns up. And Luke Jacobs challenges him and gets him added to the match. First of all, I don't like that sort of thing anyway. There was a moment when Alex Windsor did this this year as well. Just made matches, multi-man matches, and invited people into matches as a champion. Because you'd look stupid. You know, you, you, you're basically increasing your chance of not winning. <laughs> of not winning. You know, that's it. You're not winning. Uh, you're making your life more difficult for yourself. And I get the theory that, you know, hey, I'm a fighting champion and all that, but it doesn't wash with me that. I think what you want is... If I think about the way the best belts have been booked, if you think about the IWGP belt, uh, heavyweight belt, sort of five years ago, it was booked as a belt that was incredibly hard to keep. So, yeah, you might be able to get a champion on his ninth defence and, and he's tired and he's worn out and he's injured and you might be able to get that belt. But when you get that belt, everybody's coming for you and you're going to be having these big, difficult, hard, long matches. So it's not necessarily just about winning, it's about keeping. And I think Red Pro needs a little bit more of that to it. And when you're just inviting Tom, Dick and Harry into your matches and saying, hey, yeah, you've turned up, Dan Maloney, get in the match, have a championship opportunity. And, you know, hey, you know, Will Caven, strut your way to the ring with your rubbish air and we'll have a match. And it, it really diminishes the belt for me. And maybe I'm just being a bit old-fashioned and a bit silly with that, but I, I, I do feel quite strongly about it. One of the things that I really don't like as well about this Cruiserweight thing is they're talking about Maloney going down into Cruiserweight rather than Luke Jacobs going up, which is utterly ridiculous to me if that's what they end up doing because Luke Jacobs needs to go up. Dan Maloney is not a... He might be a Cruiserweight if you were to put him in like the land of the Giants, WWE, but in Britain, he's a heavyweight. I, I don't know. Like I, I just think that's... Utterly, utterly ridiculous. The problem with this and the problem with multi-man matches is that they always follow very particular structures and that structure, to me, inherently doesn't make any sense. So you'll get moments where two people are wrestling and the other two people just wait outside. Um, I know this was an, an elimination match with me teeth in, so you can sort of forgive that a little bit more, I suppose, because you know you wouldn't you wouldn't break up a pin. You know, it's it's not like if there's a pinfall when you're outside the ring, it's gonna it's gonna have disadvantage you. If anything, it's gonna advantage you. But I, I don't know. Um, and I'm watching this, and I, I'm watching Robbie X wrestle Luke Jacobs, and I'm thinking this should have been a great match. This should have been a four star plus match. This should have been a match that really established Luke Jacobs. Because, yeah, wins and losses matter. And, yeah, you were going to have to pin Luke Jacobs here. But don't forget about that cultural capital of the Rev Pro fan. 
what we value more than anything is great wrestling. And if he could go out on a great match, that's going to forgive a whole multitude of other sins that traditionally would other wrestlers would struggle with. You know, the fact you've got to beat him. And then the fact you, you've got... Oh, my God. I'm just getting myself wound up here. The fact that you've got that program inherently built in with Dan Maloney, that Dan Maloney was pinned by a cruiserweight and it wound him up and he's angry about it and now he wants to fight. You wouldn't have even have had to have thought about the loss. And the fact that they did a multi-man match and booked it as an elimination match, so he's going to have to take the pin anyway... And then, on top of that, the fact that Luke Jacobs got pinned because Dan Maloney was pinned in five minutes, who was rubbish in the match, who basically did nothing, came back in and interfered, and that's what got Luke Jacobs pinned. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why is that better than Robbie X against Luke Jacobs? Why is that better than Robbie X against Luke Jacobs? Why? This should have been so good. This match should have been brilliant. And do you know what it was? It was fine. It was a three-star special. And it should have been brilliant. And then once Dan Maloney, honestly, why eliminate Dan Maloney so quickly? I just, eliminate Caven. Oh, my word. There was also a bloody ref spot as well in this, you know. Caven grabbing a ref on a cutter and going for it. You just, I don't get it. Who likes this? Like I say, this wasn't a bad match. It's not like I came away from this thinking the work in and of itself was bad. It was a solid match. But the booking around it is just so... I'm, I'm going to say the word stupid. Stupid, stupid booking. Ridiculous level booking around this cruiserweight division at the minute. Like confusing as to why somebody would write this down and think this was good. This was clever. This was interesting. I'm blown away by the decisions at the minute in the Cruiserweight division. Anyway. Next up, we had Kanji against Danny Luna. And this was... I feel really bad about this story because, yeah, the cru- I think the cruiserweight stuff I can be angry about because that's entirely self-fulfilled. That's somebody's own fault that that's so bad. But the women's division has, has been a little bit trickier because it's injuries, isn't it? And you can't stop Alex Windsor being injured. I know you don't have a crystal ball and you can't see the future. I think this story has been... Far, far, far too drawn out. I think if they wanted to unify these two belts, because Kanji's the Southside Women's Champion and Alex Windsor is the Red Pro Women's Champion and they just want to unify the belts, uh, that's fine. I think that's a nice little story. The problem is, it's just a nice little story. So what you do is, with that kind of story, is you just have the match. But what they've wanted to do is 
drag it out a little bit. And I'm not convinced that that's the best deci- was the best decision. I think in hindsight I've been proved right, but I think a lot of the reason why I've been proved right is because of things like injuries. So I, I don't know if if necessarily um I you know do you know what I mean? I I I think that it's not a case of you should have done this. I think because this was always going to happen. No one could have predicted this was going to happen. But what we've essentially ended up with is this story being dragged out. I mean in terms of match, in terms of work, it was fine. Danny Luna's okay. She's still very much at the stage where, you know, a name gets introduced and she does a pose and it feels like she's thought about that pose a little bit too much. Um, I think she was fine. I think the wrestling was fine. Um, I think the crowd were quite flat for parts of this and I don't know if they were actually flat because nobody in the in the Discord, nobody who went live was saying that it was flat. But it, I wonder if it was a Red Pro's traditional terrible audio. Um, my issue with the match and my issue with the work is there was very little selling. It felt like selling was another move that they did, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes wrestlers do things and then sell. They do things and then sell. And it's not got that smooth, cursive feel to it, where it's reactive and it's it's, it's realistic and it happens um, in a way that you would expect it to if this were real. Uh, they both really struggled with that, I think, and it it, it it broke the fourth wall a little bit, moments like that. It, it made me realise that I was watching wrestling. Um, Danny Luna won. Now, Danny Luna, I'll be honest with you, isn't a wrestler that I'm particularly familiar with. I, I'm a, I, I think I've seen her before, but this feels like the first time I've really sat and closely watched a match of hers. She was all right. I mean, Kanji, again, I've I've been... I think she was one of those wrestlers that was sort of robbed a little bit by by COVID, in a sense, that she felt like she was on a bit of a a trajectory, then COVID came along, and she's a tricky one because she's a brawler, but she's very small, so she's got a... She's got to really work to overcome that, I think. I don't think size matters very much, but sometimes it does. When it does, it does, do you know what I mean? Um, And I think this match with Alex Windsor would have really been the making of Kanji, I think. Win or lose. I assume lose was the plan. But then they've given the belt to Danny Luna. Makes me wonder if there's something to do with Kanji. Maybe she didn't want that belt, perhaps. You know, that, that... that that sort of thing because it, it seems like a really weird thing to do to build up this story and then to just have a lose. Alex Windsor was on commentary and I have to say she was great. She was really, really good. Um I want to see more of her on commentary. I think she's the best um second seat they've had in a while. I mean and Andy's Andy, isn't he? Andy's one of those people as a commentator who I don't think he's great at it. But he's got something about him. There's a warmth to him. I think the character that they have, and and I think they do a really good job, Red Pro, of recognizing that he's the Booker Man and he owns the company, without it kind of taking over things. Um, and he gets the stories across in a really simple way. And you've sort of you grow to love him over the years. You know, he becomes a personality that you really want to listen to. Um, but obviously, since other Andy had to bounce for 
you know, reason <laughs> quite rightly as well. Um, they've sort of struggled with that second seat, and I think Alex Wins has been the best one so far. Uh, what are they going to do going forward? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know with this. I think the story needs to be over. I think it's strange that if they try to, to try and bring Kanji back in now because she's lost to what is clearly a lesser opponent. So she does really have no claim to the belt unless Alex Windsor really wants it, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's been... We need to move on, I think, now. I think Alex Windsor just needs to beat Danny Luna and we'll have some dominant wins from in the women's division until something better comes along because it's been spinning its wheels for something that's ultimately ended up going, ended up going off the road. You know, it's just a really tricky one. I, I do feel for Andy with this one, actually. Next up, we've got Greedy Souls against Sunshine Machine. I'm sick of this feud. I'm, I think they paced it really badly. I know there's an argument to be made that you're not supposed to watch everything. And it's been made of other companies before. You know, that we watch every single house show. We watch every single thing that makes tape. And that's something that's very unique to this era of wrestling. The idea of being able to have a travelling match is kind of dying, isn't it? Because you can't have the same match in every territory you go to because one of them's going to record it. And once it's recorded, that's it. It's kind of like a, a comedian set, isn't it? A comedian will have a set that they'll do all over the country and then when they're ready to move on and they've perfected it, they'll record it and they'll put a CD or a DVD out because that's it then. They can't talk about it anymore. Wrestling can't work like that. And I sometimes wonder if when people use that criticism, I think they're looking at it the wrong way around. I don't think it's the viewer that needs to change. I think it's the wrestling. If you can't repeat things as often because of the way wrestling infrastructure and the way wrestling is consumed, then you you don't argue that the viewer changes. You have to change the wrestling, I think. Because you can't change the way things are consumed. You're not going to go back to having DVDs, are you? I mean, I've not watched... You know that new one in Manchester, Sov Pro? Um, I've not watched their show. Because they put it for eight quid on, uh, is it Vimeo? And that felt archaic to me to pay eight quid for one show on Vimeo, and I didn't watch it for that reason. So you can never go back in terms of technology, can you? You're not, you're not suddenly going to switch to having optical discs with your PC so we can start buying Blu ray games again. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it, wrestling's got to change. And I, I think this story to me has been so plodding and so boringly pro wrestling. You know, greedy souls win by count out. So then they have a no count outs match and then they get disqualified. So then we have a no DQ match. And it's just, it feels plodding and cliched. And I think the fact that matches haven't been that good has definitely soured it. I mean, I think, I know when everyone was buzzing about the Briscoe FTR dog collar match, and I don't like dog collar matches, so I wasn't buzzing. But that match was so fantastic, I was able to overcome it. You know, it didn't matter that there was a gimmick that a lot of the time I don't like because people were doing brilliant, amazing things. I think a big part of this for me is that Greedy Souls are a, a really lost opportunity. I think they'd be such a great throwback-style tag team because they're just two big blokes who batter people. 
yet instead we've had the cackling heel stuff and they could be heels they could be dominant heels but why do they have to do it in sort of the cheating way I'm kind of sick of Sunshine Machine as well. And that's not really their fault. In a world of Lycoses, it's much better to be Sunshine Machine. And they have been absolute MVPs of the British wrestling scene this year. But I think their run has naturally started to come to an end. Not as a tag team. I think they should remain as a tag team. But I'm talking about specifically in Rev Pro. I think they need to go away for a little bit. Readjust re kind of replan a few things and come back when they're feeling fresh and come back like as in fresh to us not fresh for themselves although i do hope they had a lovely christmas break but fresh for us as an audience because it felt like they were being written out you know they lost the belts um tk cooper was pinned by luke jacobs recently and it felt like they were doing the old job on the way out of the territory and yet they've just kind of been kept lingering around. And that's what it feels like they're doing. So even though this feels like a blow-off, it feels like the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? It's just a really weird feeling to it. Um, the match was a bit pants as well. Again, a lot of sins are forgiven if, if the wrestling's actually good. Hashtag actually good. And this was hashtag actually bad. It, it wasn't really enjoyable. Um, they all got their belts off at the start. And I think the thing with no DQ and death matches for me, and I'm not generally a death match person. I I like good death matches. You know, I think that's what it is. And I think a lot of death matches are just a bit boring. But you've got to go big or go home. And I don't think they went big enough here. I and I I feel almost hesitant to say that because I I don't want it to sound like I think people should be in a position where they're hurting themselves. But you've got, you can't sort of just do these little belt things. Like I said, your belt, you know, your um, belt that holds your trousers up. There was just nothing about it that felt particularly extreme. That couldn't have been done in a normal match. You know, the most extreme things were sort of your big top rope dives and things. There was a bit with a guardrail where they were throwing a guardrail around, a guardrail around. But it was really clearly pulled. You know what I mean? It was very... They didn't commit to being smashed with a guardrail. And again, I'm criticising them for it. I don't want to be smashed with a guardrail. You know, I'm not saying that it's pleasant to take or easy or worthwhile to take a guardrail to your head. But then just don't do it. You know what I mean? It's, rather than do it badly, you're better off not doing it. It felt a bit rehearsed. felt a bit plodding. When they got the kendo sticks out, I kind of just... Kendo sticks are a very pro-wrestling weapon now, aren't they? I, I sort of question whether it's the noise that they make rather than the the actual, you know, how much they hurt that's got them to such prominence in wrestling. It's kind of become such a cliche that nobody actually um, questions it anymore. I mean, they're practice swords, aren't they? That's the whole point of them. I'm not saying that they're easy and they don't hurt, but I really don't think we need them in, in wrestling anymore. I really don't. Does it hurt? I'm Googling it now. Let me have a look. Kendo sticks. Do they 
I mean, I suppose the easy way to find out is to lace up a pair of boots and get in the squared circle. But I've got spina bifida, so I'm not. Kendo sticks are easily breakable, and I also use a method to demonstrate wrestler's strength when they easily break it in half. What? Oh, sports keeda, sorry. Should have known they'd be talking nonsense. Oh, apparently they hurt like hell. That's gone into Reddit. Reddit says they hurt like hell. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Either way, it, look, it just looks rubbish. I think it looks too cliched. It, it, it just, you don't get the impact of them being surprising because they're not, because you see them all the time. Um, <clears throat> this is the kind of match that when you criticise, workers get angry about. Because they go out and do these matches where they do things that clearly hurt and are clearly dangerous. And they want to go online or come back to this sort of round of applause of thanks and appreciation and salutes that thank you for doing that for us, the viewer. But the match was boring and it it was a waste of time. So any extreme spot in this match, any spot they did that looked like it hurt was a waste of time because it was boring and crap. You know, they, just, they could have told this story in a normal match. So why have the um, extremity? Anyway, uh, then we've got Zack Sabre Jr. against Leon Slater. This is a match I was really looking forward to. Zack Sabre Jr., I think is the best British wrestler of his generation. It's between him and Osprey, isn't it? It's between him and Osprey. And I know from a kayfabe point of view, we're going to say Osprey's more successful. And from a critical acclaim point of view, so's Osprey. And maybe Osprey... I Maybe that's what it is. Maybe Osprey is the best wrestler. But Zack Sabre Jr. is my favourite. There's just something about him that he takes that snake pit, world of sport, British wrestling style and makes it relevant. And it bothers me that nobody else really seems to have run with the ball that he's picked up. If that makes any sense as a, as a metaphor whatsoever. But it feels like all the other people who do his technical style are these straight-faced bores. And Zack Sabre Jr. is not a straight-faced boy. His sense of humour in his promos is fantastic. Just look at what he calls his, his moves. He's calling them like a clarky cat after, <laughs> after your brass eye references. You know, he's clearly a massive Stuart Lee fan like me. And his attitude and his cockiness is just brilliant. You know, he's not there out of respect for the craft. He does it because he's good at it and he can hurt you and he can win matches using it. And it's just so, it's so weird that that thing has been lost from technical wrestling. And in a lot of ways, this Leon Slater match was perfect because Leon Slater's cocky and arrogant. He's got the cockiness and arrogance of youth, though. And that's very different to where Zack Sabre Jr. gets his from. So to put them together, presented this as a real test, I think, for Leon Slater. And one that I was really excited to see. There was no messing with this. There was just great combos to start with. Great wrestling. And the speed of which Leon Slater does everything is just so captivating. Because really what they're doing here to sort of start with was just very kind of typical wrestling. 
um, you know, reversals, just sort of what you'd expect. But because Zack Sabre Jr. is so technically perfect, and Leon Slater is so fast and speedy, and he does that with everything that he does, it was so brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Zack dominated this early, and he dominated all the way through. And I thought that was a, such a smart thing to do. Leon Slater essentially got a couple of hope spots in this, and I'm really glad that that's how they played it. Because Zack Sabre Jr. won, I should point that out. Because what you didn't want with this was Leon Slater to feel like he was at that level yet. What, to me, the value in someone like Leon Slater, because he's 18 years old, I think he might be 19, but that'd be splitting hairs. Point remains, point stands. You want to see him grow and develop and get better and better and better. And I think for him to be pushed and beating people like Zack Sabre Jr. and even being competitive against Zack Sabre Jr. would be a mistake. And I think it's moments like this that that justify why I get so frustrated with the Cruiserweight division. Because Quilden clearly gets how to tell these stories. He clearly gets how to extract the best from someone like Leon Slater. And it, the fact that he, he decides to do that in certain places and not in others, I think he's really weird. You know, I it was really weird to see Zack Sabre Jr. win strikes here. That's how dominant he is, because that's what normally happens with Zack Sabre Jr. Is that he uses strikes to goad people in so he can grab them and do reversals. But also the problem with him is, is that he's not very good at taking them. So if he doesn't quite get the reversal off, he just crumples. But here it wasn't like that. He was dominating the striking game as well. He was really positioned as someone who was so far and above Leon Slater in terms of ability and skill that it, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was obvious. And again, I think that was a really little great story. Was this any kind of great match? Probably not, but I enjoyed the story of it. You know, it felt like I was I was in something with Leon uh, Slater. Do you know what I mean? It felt like I was watching a chapter in his his story, which is always, I think that's always interesting. You know, so I, I, I don't know if I would recommend it. It was, you know, three and a half probably in terms of stars. But, you know, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Then we had Great Okan against Zack Knight. Another bit of a controversial opinion here. I've kind of had enough of Zack Knight. Like, he served a purpose for a while. But the fact he keeps serving that same purpose over and over and over again in increasingly more prominent spots. I think if we lost out on the Alex Windsor injury, I think maybe we've gained with the Ricky Knight Jr. one because I'd much rather see Zack Knight against Great O'Khan and that gave us Osprey against DCE. You know what I mean? I think that that's, that's kind of a net gain, I think, overall. But there's just something about Zack Knight that I think he needs to be lower down the card. And I, the fact that he's in a big, big match here and the fact the setup for that match is... I think stupid. It's kind of. I'm not. I know there's a debate about interim champions, and some people like them, and some people don't. I don't really mind, but I probably earn more on the don't like of interim champions. But if you're gonna do something like that, 
this is the stupidest way of doing it. Having somebody else step in to defend your belt, I think is weird. I don't know if there's any precedent for this in wrestling. I guess there's the free bird rule, which kind of messes with things. But I think it's a really stupid thing to do. I, I don't think it makes any sense. You couldn't do that in any other sport, I don't think. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I just don't get it. And the fact that it's Zack Knight as well, who I think he's been overused, quite frankly. I think he's been overused, he's been overpushed. I'm glad that Great Okan won here because, well, for a couple of reasons. One, he was... It's kind of obvious, isn't it, that he's got to beat Zack Knight. I mean, he might have beat Ricky Knight Jr. Sorry, Ricky Knight Jr. might have ended Great O'Khan's um, streak. But Zack Knight's not going to. And I think that's right to preserve that. It gives us a natural rematch later on down the line. It gives us a little bit of a feud between the uncle and nephew, I guess. And it also gets the belt potentially at the Tokyo Dome. And apparently he's been throwing the belt around. <laughs> Great Okada, which you know I've not seen, but that's pretty interesting. Um, but I think in a way, the reason why I think it's good that Great Okada won is because I think Ricky Knight Jr.'s title reign has been a disappointment. And I think that's by booking. I don't think they've really booked him any opportunities to have big, exciting matches. There's a show to Umino one, but the one against Zack Knight was, was okay. It it felt like Ricky Knight Jr. needed these big, establishing matches where he showed the world what he could do. Big four-star-plus matches. And I don't think he was really put in a position for that to happen. Potentially, you know, it could have been happened it could have happened with this, but I don't know. I I I I'm just really um, uneasy about how this first championship run, and I think to to use this as an opportunity to get the belt off him and potentially start again later on is probably the best thing for Ricky Knight Jr. It's a hard thing to analyze, isn't it? Because I'm asked. Asking myself and asking you, what, what's been the highlight? What's been the great bit of Ricky Knight Jr.'s title run? Where have they really got behind him and pushed him as this exciting star leading the promotion? And I just don't think they have. The match itself was good. You know, I, I think Great Okan absolutely rules. Um, there's an article I wrote, I'll put it in the description of the... Uh, or maybe I'll put it in the Discord, uh, that I wrote... Um, when he left his excursion in Red Pro, he went back to Japan. And how I thought, I wasn't quite convinced about how well it was going. I didn't like the gimmick. I felt like Great Okan clearly had a lot of talent and was when he was in his jeans and looking terrified, he was great. Um, but it, isn't it amazing sometimes if you just stick with something and let somebody get comfortable with it? Because the difference now compared to when he left. And he's doing he's doing the same gimmick, pretty much. I know they've added stuff to it, like him being a hero, rescuing those people. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's a, a sex addict in Vegas and all that business. And, and I know it's been added to and developed. But the difference now, this gimmick has really sunk in and really worked. 
and just seeing seeing him standing there with his hands behind his back he's 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 great um I really liked a lot of this match. The fact that he was trying to break Zack Knight's hand in front of Ricky Knight Jr. Because that's why he's off. He's broken his hand or his wrist. So the offense was based on that. And I, I thought that was just such a great little idea. A really cool, interesting little wrinkle that, w- that was really interesting. Um, Okar was dominant. But Zack got high spots. Uh, hope spots, I should say. Not high spots. And I thought that was appropriate. That's kind of how it should be. I think that's going to add a lot if we are going to keep Zack Knight around. That's going to add a lot to his story, isn't it? Because the idea that the whole point of him wanting to go against Ishii was to test himself. And now he's been t- he's testing himself against someone who's on a, I think in kayfabe terms, on a higher level than Ishii at the minute. He's against Great Okan. And to have him, you know, not quite make it, would have been the best story. The issue is, Andy got his booking dart out again. And he got Zach to have a visual pin on Great O'Khan while Ricky Knight Jr. was accidentally distracting the ref. Do you know what I mean about the subtlety hammer? It didn't need that. This is story that doesn't add, it takes away. If they're trying to create tension between Zack and Ricky, having this extra layer of Zack Knight saying, well, I beat him, I could have won if it weren't for that, doesn't add anything to the story, it takes away. Because all it means then is that Great Okan is championed by fluke. He's championed because of somebody else's mistake. And that diminishes the belt. It doesn't add anything to the story between Rick and Zack at all. It also completely dis- robs Zack Knight of being able to tell the story of finding out that he wasn't good enough. What a powerful story that would have been. That he wasn't good enough. What a, like that that's an awful thing sometimes that everybody has to realise in their life and there's a time, I think it happens to us all, doesn't it, when you reach like your mid to late twenties and you go you have that moment of okay, that's it now, this is it. Like I can see the path of my life. I'm never gonna I, I might not be this writer, I might not be as you're certainly not gonna be a sports star, you know what I mean? opportunities are starting to close rather than open. And I think to have that told in wrestling would have been fantastic and they pissed it up the wall. Pissed it up the wall. But the match was fine. I think that's what we've seen a lot. And I think Andy's got a lot of responsibility for Red Pro feeling a bit lacklustre at the minute because actually the bell to bell, the work, fine. Good in a lot of parts. But actually the booking and the way they're telling their stories isn't very good at the minute. And next, it's the big one. Oku against Mills. I have flip-flopped on this story so much, haven't I? I've gone from thinking it's the best thing in wrestling to the worst thing in wrestling to not really knowing either way. And it's going to live and die on this match, I think. 
it's going to live and die on how good and how well they tell the story with this match. I think what it is, it was the it was the accidental kick that caused um, him to agree to have the match. Uh, Oku. So let me start that again. Mills went to kick Oku and accidentally kicked Amira and that wound him up and then agreed to the match. And I don't know what it was. I think what this match should have been is presented as more of a sporting contest than a blood feud and then went into a blood feud during the match. Because that's kind of what it is, isn't it? Is that Mills is annoyed that Oku gets all these opportunities and he doesn't. And Mills believes he's a better wrestler than Oku. Even though most people wouldn't agree with that, but he wants—he's desperate to prove it. So it's—it just—it's a little bit of that weird thing with Red Pro sometimes, where they sort of tell a story, but then don't tell it at the same time and let you fill in the gaps. I have to say, Mills looked great in this. I think Mills is often very, very hit and miss, hit or miss, I should say. He's—he goes from being great to being not so great. But here he looked fantastic. The way he played this match was really good. He was very intimidating. He was he was genuinely intimidating at parts. And do you know what I think a big part of it is? He's cut them stupid braids off. And I've been hesitant to sort of comment on it. But it, it you know, because it's his appearance, isn't it? He can look however he wants. But wrestling's a visual medium. And the braids just made him look stupid. It, 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 it made him look a bit laughable, I think. But now he looks like a baddie. He's got a baddie haircut. You know, he looks like um, Lalo from Breaking Bad or something. You know, like like an evil man, like evil intentions behind his eyes and or something. You know, he, he looked really good and that really helped the, the, the wrestling. They absolutely went for it with this. You know, topes, they were really wrestled hard. You know, the topes were committed to, the strikes were committed to, and that, that was what the match needed, and I, I felt that was great. Um, there was loads of great little moments in this where uh, Mills was in a half crab, and he, he's going to tap out, isn't it? Because that's Oku's finishing move. And Mills went to the ring, but instead of grabbing the rope, he grabbed Amira by the hair and dragged her in because Amira was, like, talking shit to him, like, you're going to tap out, you're going to tap out. Um, I actually, I have to take a little bit back. I thought Amira was really good here. Amira can often be too much. She over-eggs things, she sells things too much, as in, not moves, as in the way she is. It's not very natural. And it was a shame because I almost like what they were doing with her in terms of plot. You know, that she was kind of pushing Oku to have this match. She was saying, no, don't let him speak to you like that. You can batter him. You can beat him in this match. Do it. Uh, I, I like that. You know, it's almost usually the other way around, isn't it? She's not this meek, mild um, sort of, what's the word? I'm sorry, Chauffeur. What's the word like Miss Elizabeth was? And, uh, uh, valet. <laughs> Chauffeur. <laughs> no, valet. Uh, you know, she's not that, is she? She's, she's tactical almost and things. And I think they played it really well. There was a moment in this web where Mills was just dominant and he looked great. And obviously Oku's selling his next level. And Mills went and got a towel out from under the ring and gave it to her and said, you're going to have to throw that in in a minute. 
And it's those little bits of details that I really enjoyed. I think what's kind of killed this feud for me is that in terms of a match, if I'm putting star ratings on it, it's like three and a half, three and three quarters. It's good. It was a good match. And as much as I've loved the story, I think there's this idea that things have to be zero-sum, that you either have a great story or a great match. When you look at the great wrestling moments, it combines. You know, remember... um, What was I talking about this recently? Can't remember what I was talking about. You know when Tanahashi um, beat Okada at his first Tokyo Dome? And that was a great match. It was a five-star match. But then you had the story of him, you know, Okada not being ready, of Tanahashi shouting after him that, you know, you're just a young boy. You know, go back and learn how to wrestle. They're the great wrestling moments when story and work combine. And the story here I thought was good. It's a bit shaky, but overall good. And the work just didn't really match it. And I think that was a little bit of a shame, to be honest with you. And I don't know what it was. I don't think it was through lack of effort, to be completely honest with you, because they both went out and really committed themselves to it. It just ended up being a little bit flat. Oku just won. And Mills walked out. So whether something's going to happen, whether this feud is going to continue or not, I don't know. But, you know, it was what it was. There was a great, you know, there was just there was lots of great things in it. It wasn't a bad match by any stretch. You know, there was a bit where Oku went to do a frog splash, but Mills rolled out the ring. So what did Oku do? He did a frog splash on the apron. And you know, those when little spots like that stick with you, you can't say it's a bad match, but I just don't think it was particularly uh, anything to rave about, which I, I kind of wanted to be honest with you. Then we had our unexpected main event, Ishii versus Osprey. I love Ishii. He's one of my all-time favourite wrestlers because I think that he epitomises so much of what make pe- what makes people real. What make you know what makes your life difficult and challenging? That he isn't in kayfabe the most talented wrestler. He isn't always the greatest, but what he is, is he's the most resilient. And he's got to where he is by being tough and by not letting people beat him down and not letting people walk all over him. And no matter what, he's always got his pride. And if you're going to beat him and you're going to pin him, and there's a good chance that somebody like Osprey is going to beat him and going to pin him, and he did here, and it was never really in doubt, you're going to have to kill him to do that. And that's captivating, to see somebody who is brave in a way that you don't know if you are yourself. And I think Osprey is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Look at the year that he's had. Look at the great matches he's had already this year. And there are people out there who want to present, pretend that Will Ospreay isn't a great wrestler. There are people out there who will say with a straight face that Will Ospreay isn't good. That Will Ospreay is a bad wrestler. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. I know things are subjective and I know not everybody is going to, you know, is going to think that 
is the greatest wrestler. That's absolutely fine. But there are people who will look you in the eye in 2022 and tell you that Will Ospreay is a bad wrestler. Get get away from your clicks. Stop. Your Twitter's dead. Get off it. No one's liking your opinion anymore, you circle jerk loser. Osprey rules. The great, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's probably the greatest British wrestler of all time. He's up there with Rollerball Rocco. He's up there with Dynamite Kid. The greatest British wrestler of all time. What am I shouting at? It's Christmas. I'm having an argument with somebody who doesn't even exist. They do, actually, because I see it. I see it on Twitter. I don't go on very much anymore, but I see it. Oh, Will Ospreay can't sell. Watch your match, you dork. If you don't like Will Ospreay's wrestling, you don't like wrestling, do you? That, I, I will maintain that until the day I die. If you don't like Will Ospreay's wrestling, you don't like wrestling. Wrestling's not for you. <laughs> Gatekeeping, though. Anyway. This match was basically what you'd expect. It was great. <laughs> You know, and it, it's, a, it's a weird one to analyse because there was, it was just they were thrown together, weren't they? Because Osprey's obviously building up to this match with uh, with um, Kenny Omega. I forgot, I forgot the biggest, rest, most significant wrestler of the past 10 years' name. Uh, but he's building up to that match. So obviously, you know, the, it's, it, the result was never in doubt, but it's Osprey. It's Ishii. It's always going to be brilliant. He was very dominant from Osprey, but, you know, I think that's appropriate. That you, you can dominate somebody like um, Ishii. And then when he did a turnbuckle spot, like he smashed his head into a turnbuckle, that's what kind of clicks that button in Ishii's head. He's been insulted. He's been criticised. And that's what sort of sends him over the edge. And it was just, it was all those little moments that you'd expect, but those moments are so great that the fact you expect them doesn't really matter. And of course, obviously, there was moments when Osprey was getting dropped on his bunts. You know, you're going to get all those great moments with brilliant neck bumps. But both these wrestlers are just next level sellers. You know, they'd fight, they'd do some big moves, and they'd drop, and it. I'm never, ever, ever going to get bored of that. I do wonder, with Osprey, is if he's responsible for a lot of the stuff that we see on indies not being very good. Because he does certain things brilliantly that not many people can. I'm talking about things like cutters. I'm talking about, um, you know... Spanish flies, you know, these moves that most people, when they do them, they just look bad. But because he's Osprey, he does them and they look great. You know, this is the match of the night. It's four and a quarter. It's basically what you would expect from an Osprey Ishii match. It was just really good, you know. It was just a really, really good match. So that's Uprising. And that's my last review of 2022. So let's wrap things up, shall we? I'm going to finish this by being, I suppose, slightly sentimental and just say a huge thank you to everybody that's listened, chatted in the Discord, interacted, DM'd, 
or somehow made me feel like this was worthwhile. I know I'm not the best podcaster in terms of social media, promoting myself, engagement, that sort of thing. And in a way, I don't want to be. I want to be a podcaster that, that, you know, we feel like we're having a chat. And I want to thank everybody that listens to my rambling. I, I, I'm never going to do a Patreon. I'm never... Do you know what? Some weeks, I don't even look how many people listened. You know what I mean? I, I just enjoy doing this. And I'm very conscious that I want to enjoy doing this on face value. I want to enjoy doing it for what it is. And I do. And whether 10 people, 20 people, 500 people, 10,000 people listen, I never want to lose that because I just watch things that I've got opinions on and I like sharing those opinions. So if you're allowing me to do that, I want to say thank you. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And as much as I hate Christmas, I want you to enjoy the time off. I want to thank you for listening. I want you to go and get some cheese and crackers. It's the Eurograps Expressway. Um, I bought myself a few. I've got a cheddar that's infused with whole grain mustard. I've got um, a garlic and black pepper Cheshire cheese that I've not opened yet. I'm going to open that tonight. And I've got a whiskey-infused cheddar. They've been my three cheeses of the uh, of, of the of the Christmas period. And I bought some decent crackers as well. I bought some buttermilk crackers. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed the show. And I will see you in a couple of weeks. Have a happy new year. Hey kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.